Well, Jesus has a saying that you've probably heard. And I bet you can complete it. Because people in the church like to say this a lot. Pastors like to say this a lot. Jesus, when he was praying for the church in John chapter 17, he said um, something along these lines. I'm paraphrasing, but basically it usually goes like this. You as his disciples are to be in the world, but not in the world, but not of the world. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Jesus said that, right? However, I don't know that we usually think about that in a very biblical way. Because for one, that's not the order Jesus said it. Look at what Jesus says. It's in John chapter 17. I think we need to think of this a little more biblically. Jesus, when he's praying, he says, I've given them your word. Speaking about his disciples, he's praying in the garden. This is the night before he'd be crucified. Uh, It's an intense prayer. It's known as his high priestly prayer. He's praying. By the way, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him, he's praying for you in this passage. You wonder if Jesus ever thought about you right here. He's praying for you because he's praying for his disciples. And he says all that would follow them. And he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Why? Because we just said, right, they're not what of the world. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Oftentimes we think of it the opposite way. We think of it like we just said it earlier, where I'm in the world, but not of the world. What kind of mindset does that create? You know what that creates, I think, a lot of times is, oh, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. So I'm going to huddle up and I'm going to wait for Jesus to get me out. Cannot wait for that. Come on, Jesus. They're pressing in on me. I want out. I'm in it, but I ain't of it. It, it, I mean, it kind of creates this mindset in us of we're in the world, so we just got to hang out until Jesus pulls us out, right? I'm not of it. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. But... Sorry to burst your bubble, but that's not Jesus' plan to come take you out. In fact, he's praying here for you. He's praying for me. Now, do you think if God's going to answer anyone's prayers, who do you suppose he's going to answer? Probably Jesus's, right? Probably his son's. Well, look what Jesus prays for you then in verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Wow, come on. I want out. I'm ready to be done. I'm so tired of this. He says, but I pray that you keep them from the evil one. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is praying here for you, and he's praying for me. And he prays that God would not take us out of the world. He simply says, here's your first one. He he simply says, we are not of the world. Jesus prays that God would not take us out of the world. Why? This is a scary place. There's evil, there's sin, there's destruction, there's sickness. Now, someday, will he remove us from it? Yeah, someday he will. But, but maybe not, probably not today. He says we're not of the world. That's our primary identity. Just like who? Just like Jesus is not of the world. You're not of this place. This isn't home. But guess what? Jesus says, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, we think of it, I'm not in the world, or I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So hang on. 
Jesus says you're not of the world. If you're a Christian, that's not primarily who you are. You're a saint. You're in Christ. You're brand new. God sees you in Jesus' righteousness, veiled in Christ. You're totally different. You're not of this world. But you're sent into it, just like Jesus was sent into it. That changes the dynamic completely, doesn't it? If I say I'm in but not of, I'm hold on. If I say I'm not of but I've been sent in, I have to ask myself, well, what am I sent for? You ever send your kids into, your, into their room? Usually there's a purpose, right? Either it's because of something they did or to clean it up. <laughs> You're sent into this world to be on mission for Jesus Christ. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount right now, and the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus' kingdom Jesus' kingdom on this earth and in the future, and specifically how, as his people, we're to live out that kingdom calling and that kingdom agenda on this earth. And you know why? Because you're not of this world, so you're sent into it, and you can live it out in this world. Not of the world, but sent into the world. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that uh, just as he's not of this world... For those of us who've trusted him and given our lives to him, we're not of this world. And thank you that that Jesus, as our example, was sent as a missionary into our culture and put on flesh, became man, so that he could live a life and, and show us what it means to be sent by you on mission to make disciples, to make disciples. And just like that, thank you that that we get to play a part in that. And that he didn't just save us to sit around and wait for you to take us out, but he saved us and sent us into the world to make more disciples, to be on mission. As we'll see this morning, Jesus says that we're salt and we're light in a dark world. Uh, Holy Spirit, I I pray that you'd fill me and speak to me and through me as I teach. Uh, Let my thoughts be your own. My words be your own. Father, I thank you that you forgive me in Jesus of my sin. And uh, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects and the ways that he would uh, come and accuse us and tempt us, lie to us. Um, Instead, maybe some of the lies we've believed about what it means to be salt and light and what it means to be in the world and not of it, uh, that you'd correct those for us this morning. And uh, as a church, send us out on mission into this community and into this world to build your kingdom here. Father, we love you. Uh, Teach us this morning, we pray, that we might be more like Jesus. Amen. Matthew 5 is where we're at. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We went through the Beatitudes last week, and now Jesus gives some more instructions speaking to who his disciples are. Remember, when he's speaking here, he's speaking to his disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that. But not only were his disciples there, who else was there? Other people following him, his other followers, and and a huge crowd of people from all over the known region. Hundreds, if not thousands of people heard Jesus say these words, and he says... You, speaking to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You ever ever had salt lose its taste? I never have. You ever read that and you're like, what is Jesus talking about? We'll talk about that this morning. He says, "It's it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill, set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
We've just seen, it's a little later in his ministry, he's praying, but Jesus sends us into the world, right? We're sent. We're not of the world, so we're sent into the world. And this is describing what that looks like, that we're sent as salt and as light. Jesus says, you, Christian, you are salt. And says that you, Christian, you are light. Just as he is the light of the world. You're the light of this earth. The church is. So what did Jesus mean by this? Well, salt and light were like two of the most useful substances in all the earth in Jesus' day. In fact, you ever heard of a guy named Pliny the Elder? Sounds like a Looney Tune character, doesn't it? It's not. He was a philosopher. Uh, he was born during Jesus' lifetime. And, and one of the things he did, he, he wrote philosophy. He studied history. He studied uh, uh, nature. And he, he wrote, basically, he kind of founded the idea of an encyclopedia of knowledge. And one of the things he wrote when he's, when he's writing about some of his discoveries, he says, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. There's nothing more useful. Why? Because of all the things that it does. So let's talk about it a little bit. What, is, what about, about salt? What does salt do? Have you ever used salt for something? Raise your hand. Who's used salt for something? When is salt most useful? Now, now forget, I know some of you know like the whole history of this in the Bible. And what, we're going to talk about that, but we're talking about you, okay? What do you, you use salt for? What, what's something that, how is it useful for you? What has to happen in order for the salt to have any use? What's that? Yeah, flavor, preserving, things that... But in order for it to flavor your food, right, what do you have to do? You have to pour it on the food. You're kind of like, well, okay, yeah, that's, duh, Josh, right? <laughs> I thought you were going to be a little more confident. No, it has to, for salt to be effective, it's only effective when it comes into contact with something else, like my green beans or my corn on the cob or my watermelon. My wife doesn't like that, but I love that. Oh, my watermelon, right? That, that, that's when salt is most effective. It in fact, it's not effective at all if it just sits in the jar, if it sits in the shaker. It has to come in contact with something. Jesus says, Christian, you are salt. This is all preliminary to before we unpack all this. You know what that means? As salt, Christian, for you to be effective, you have to come into contact with our culture. You do. You have to come into contact with people in our community. You have to come into contact with people you work with. See, if I think I'm in the world but not of it, I go to work and I huddle up and all these scary people. I'm like the guy in office space who had his stapler stolen. And he's just, he's just hanging out, scared of everybody, waiting to get done, right? But, but if I'm not of the world and I go and I'm sent into the world, what's that mean now? Well, now I'm sent as salt, so I'm going to come into contact with people. I'm going to brush shoulders with them. I'm going to rub off on them. When you get a little salt on something you start to notice a difference, don't you? And it's taste and it's flavor. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, what about light? You're salt, but you're also light. You ever use light for anything? Huh? How about right now? So you can see the screen, right? So you can see your phone, so you can see your iPod, whatever you got. You use light all the time. It's useful, right? But... What is light most useful for? For expelling darkness. And the only way light is useful is if it's free to shine. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, he said, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. Imagine tonight you walk in your bedroom, it's, it's dark, 
and uh, you flip the light switch on, but the first thing you do is you go and cover it up. Is it of any use to you? No, because it's not free to shine and let the light fill the room. You're hindering the light from shining. In the same way, Christians only make an impact when we actually shine our light. When you actually shine it. And you take the cap off the flashlight. Right? So with those things as a premise this morning, we're going to go through and we're going to unpack this passage of what Jesus means by this and what it means for us to live as salt and to live as light as those who are not of the world, but who are sent into the world. So first, Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Well, First off, Jesus, when he's saying these things, it's in context, right? It's in, the, it's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He had just finished the Beatitudes. He had just finished saying, blessed are you when these things happen. And one of the things he said is, blessed are you, followers of Jesus, when people speak evil of you or persecute you or slander you. For then, you're like the prophets and all those who have gone before you. And he says, you're salt and light. You know, one of the ways we get an idea of what salt and light looks like is maybe look at the Old Testament and look at some of the prophets. How did they live their lives? Jesus says, when you're persecuted, you're like them. Well, it tells me if they're persecuted, it's probably not because they were in the world and not of it. It's probably because they're brushing shoulders with people and the salt is out of the shaker and the light is shining forth, right? I mean, let's be honest. Why do do we cower away a lot of times in our culture? Because of some of the pushback. Because of the pushback. Because... Salt has a natural impact when it comes into contact with something. Light, when it gets shined on something, has a natural impact, and, and it tends to repel darkness. And there's, gonna, there, there's a spiritual war going on, loved ones. You're going to be pushed aside, and you're going to face opposition when you do this. But Jesus says, listen, you're salt. You're salt. He's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to you. So why does he call them salt? Well, I asked you, you know, how you use salt. What did they use salt for in Jesus' day? Well, it was used for a handful of different things. And, and a lot of these things up to the middle of the last century. Uh, here's, here's a handful of things of salt in the Bible. One, it's connected with judgment. Lot's wife, remember her? She's turned to a pillar of salt in Genesis 19.26. Uh, In Judges chapter 9, verse 45, they would sow salt sometimes into someone's field to ruin their crop. It it talks about that in Judges 9. You'd you'd ruin an enemy's field by sowing it with salt. How would that help you win over your enemy? Well, they'd starve to death, right? They wouldn't have any food. Salt was used in the ancient world also, though, to flavor foods. Some contend that in small doses, it was even used as a fertilizer, and I think Uh, likely used as a fertilizer when it was mixed with manure to be a fertilizer. Sometimes, though, it's just a commodity. Sometimes it identifies a place like the salt sea. But above all else, salt was used as a preservative. And it was rubbed into meat, if not pounded into meat. And that salt, when it came in contact with the meat, would slow the decay of the meat. It would preserve it. 
It had many uses, but its primary and most basic use was as a preservative for food. Jesus says, then, we are sent to to preserve our culture like salt, to preserve like salt. In other words, we're to arrest corruption. We're to prevent decay in the world. Are you totally going to prevent it? Not on your own. The help of Jesus or the help of the Spirit, yeah, but... But you're sent into the world in part to preserve things, to preserve the good things and and bring good to your community, bring good to your culture, bring good to your city by preserving and promoting what is good and preventing the decay of culture. You're sent as a preservative, as salt into the world. How salt used to preserve? Well, it, it was especially used of salting meat in ancient uh, ancient culture to preserve it. The salt would draw draw out moisture and it create an environment by pulling the moisture out that made it inhospitable for bacteria to grow in the meat. So it preserve it. When when we go into culture, loved ones, as salt and preserve culture, what we do. By being salt in the culture, just like salt in the meat pulls out the moisture and and keeps bacteria from growing. When we get into culture as salt and we season it and we preserve it, in a sense, we're bringing the gospel to culture and it's preventing what's going to prevail over the enemy all the time. Jesus and his word. And so it prevents decay from happening. It prevents the onslaught of the enemy because Jesus says, this is my kingdom and against it... It's not going to be taken down. It'll stand forever, right? And so as salt, as we go into the world, we prevent decay, just like salt in meat keeps bacteria from growing. If, if you salt in cold weather, the meat doesn't spoil while the salt has time to take effect. And salted meat can last for years. There's a passage from John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, and it describes this process just briefly. He writes, he says, Noah carried the slabs of meat into the kitchen and cut it into small salting blocks. And Ma patted the coarse salt in, laid it piece by piece in the kegs, careful that no two pieces touched each other. She laid the slabs like bricks and pounded salt in the spaces. This technique creates a keg, a wooden barrel full of salt and meat. That sounds good, doesn't it? Salt and meat. Anyway, we'll give it... This technique is ancient, though. You can read about it during sailing voyages. We just had Columbus Day a few weeks ago, right? In times of Columbus, this is how they would preserve food to take it with them on the voyage. Many accounts of the Revolutionary War, especially the Civil War, talk about meat being preserved this way. And it was used to preserve meat this way up through the middle of the last century. And the only thing that got rid of it was the dawn of refrigeration and freezing and things like that. Loved ones, as Christians, were sent by Jesus to be in our community, in our culture, not of it, but in it, preserving it from decay, rubbing shoulders with people in our culture. Just like salt, when it was put in the meat to prevent it from decay, it was pounded into the gaps to keep it. We're, we're to fill those gaps as Christians in our culture and in our community, preventing decay, preserving it. Jesus goes on, he says, uh, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If salt has lost its taste, how in the world does salt lose its taste? I mean, I've had salt before that sat in the cupboard. And, I mean, unless you're using a ton of salt, it's hard to get through one of those little things of salt, isn't it? I mean, they they last sometimes for years. Have you ever gotten the salt out and tasted it and went, ooh, that's old salt? No, it always tastes like salt. It always tastes like salt. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, you have to understand when he talks about this, how they got salt in Jesus' day. There, There were a couple ways, mostly through evaporation, but sometimes they would get it from around the Dead Sea and even out of the Dead Sea and let the water evaporate. And then what would be left is the minerals and the salt. The other way, there were, there were what, known, what were known as salt marshes around that area as well in southern Israel. And, and they'd pull, pull uh, material out of there and let it dry. And then what was left was, again, after evaporation, was salt. But the problem is their salt was like mixed with these minerals. It was rare that they had pure salt. It was often in salt mixed with gypsum and, and other minerals and calcium, things like this. And what would happen is salt is more soluble, soluble than that. And, and so what, if it would get wet, if it wasn't kept dry, the salt would actually dilute and dissolve out of that. And you'd be left with something that you called it salt, but it really wasn't salt. And it lost its saltiness. It lost its taste. And there was really only one good use left for it. Because one of the other uses I didn't tell you yet that they used salt, this type of salt for, was to throw it out on the road to make roads where it would be what? Trampled under people's feet. And it would really just be of no use for what normally you'd use salt for, which is to preserve things or to flavor things. So that's what Jesus is saying. If, If salt has lost its taste... If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's like if if the salt is dissolved, how are you going to get salt back in there? It's no good anymore. You just throw it out. See, not only, loved ones, are you sent as salt into the world to preserve it from decay, to fill those gaps, but you're sent as salt into the world to, to bring a little flavor to it, to flavor the world as a flavoring, as a spice, as as a seasoning. To make things better, right? That, that's what flavor does. It makes it better. In fact, Paul talks about this in a little bit different terms as far as how we're to be sent out as kind of a flavor into the world. He, he talks of us as the aroma of Christ. It says, and you might write this passage down, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance, of, or the aroma, your translation might read, of the knowledge of him everywhere, of Jesus everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those whom are being saved and among those whom are perishing. To one we're a fragrance from death to, de- to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Jesus says you're sent as salt. Paul says you're a fragrance of Christ, in any case, you're sent to flavor and to influence our community and our culture, right? Now, you ever sit by somebody, and don't raise your hand if you are this morning, have you ever sit by somebody with too much cologne on? And you got an aroma, right? Smell it, take a deep breath, you smell that? Now, sometimes it's a good aroma. 
You might like it. It might be pleasing to you. Other times, it's a nasty aroma. You're like, oh, my goodness, that is just strong. Even though it was meant to be pleasant. As a follower of Jesus, when you're sent out into the world as salt to flavor it and as an aroma of Christ to those who both are perishing and those who are in Christ, you're going to influence them in different ways. To those who are perishing and to those who don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, that's, that's just going to be a foul smell. You're going to be pushed away. It, I don't want any of that. To those, though, whom Jesus has called and whom either they don't know Jesus yet and they're about to or they do know Jesus, you're living a life that way is a, fra- is a good fragrance, right? It's a good thing. In the same way, salt. Some people like the taste of salt. Some don't. Some people like the taste of salt, but there's people who don't want you to like the taste of salt. Those are called your wives. Right? No, I'm kidding. But, but seriously, if you go out into the world as a fragrance, as, as a flavoring, you're going to have some people who just flat out do not like you. That's the way it is. But... Jesus sends you into the world to do that, to make things better. Because in flavoring it, you're also preserving. You're also preventing decay. You're making things better. See, a lot of times as Christians, people will will boycott stuff, right? And and we get really mad. Oh, we're not going to buy that product. Or we're not going to watch that show because I don't like those people. They're advertising this on there. That's great. And I understand that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Right? We should avoid things that we shouldn't be a part of. But, but what would be better if we just huddle up? I can't wait for Jesus to get me out of here because that's awful and I hate it. Or to be sent into the culture and maybe your children, your grandchildren, you encourage them in such a way, high school students, as you look for a career where you'll be sent out into the world and you go out into the world and maybe in 10, 15, 20 years, Instead of someone who could care less about Jesus Christ and maybe is antagonistic toward him, it's you in that spot shaping culture and, and you're a scent, you're an aroma, you're a fragrance that, that it trickles down to the rest of culture and you're changing culture. And instead of running and hiding, we should be sent into it to influence and to change it at some of the highest levels of where culture is shaped. Now, one thing I'm going to say in parents, you're not going to like me for this, but you know what I, you know where the culture shaping centers of our society are primarily in cities and primarily on the coasts, long ways from here, you know, be a great thing is if our children, the people who we raise up and train to be disciples of Jesus Christ, maybe some would stay here and that'd be a great thing and influence culture here. But, but how great would it be if we were ascending church and we were able to send kids out who've grown up in Dan's ministry and in Stephen's ministry and, and they're sent out to shape culture and that trickles back down here. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That's what it means to live as salt. See, but not only are you salt, but you're also light. Jesus says in verse 14, you are also, you're the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're to preserve as salt, to flavor as salt, and you're also to shine as light. Because you're the light of the world. The reference to a city on a hill is its a pretty obvious one. But often, the, the cities in that day would, would have been built um, 
in many cases, of white limestone. And an ancient town, if it was especially on a hill, during the day it would have gleamed in the sun. And it couldn't easily be hidden. At night, the inhabitants' oil lamps would shed some glow over the surrounding area. You ever, you ever drive from a distance? And I mean, out, out where we live, you can, you can drive sometimes for miles kind of in the dark. And you see this glow out over the, a city or a town in the distance. You ever see that? And like the sky is like kind of amber or it's just it's orange or whatever you want to call it. In the same way, a city on a hill, when people would light their lamps, there would be this glow above it and about it. And you couldn't hide it. You couldn't hide it. Jesus says, like light, you are to shine. And he doesn't, listen, he doesn't say be salt. He says you are salt. So for salt to be effective, you have to come in contact with something or someone. He doesn't say be light. He says you are light, as he was the light of the world. So uncover the end of the light. Uncover the end of the flashlight and let it shine. This little light of mine, right? Maybe not this little light of mine, but um, I don't know. I was trying to think of a good phrase, but I can't. But like, instead of this little light, it's like, no, I am the light because I'm in Christ. I have to shine to be who Jesus has made me to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you ever hear of him? There's a huge fat biography about him by Eric Metaxas. I'd encourage you to read and pick up. He was a a pastor during World War II in Germany. He spent some time in the U.S., in New York City, and then uh, went back to Germany and uh, became very involved in his culture in Germany. So much so to the effect that he was part of a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler when it was found out And he was arrested, thrown into one of the Nazi concentration camps and lost his life just a short time before the war ended. That's a guy who let his light shine, I think, right? And and worked hard to, to influence culture, his salt and his light. He says this, he says, A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Let me say that again. A community of Jesus that seeks to hide itself ceases to follow him. Us for no more is not in the Bible. But that's our default, right? We, we want to protect things. We, we want to be not an outpost of the kingdom, but a fortress of the kingdom. And we're going to hide in the fortress. And I can't, uh, always on the defensive. Jesus' kingdom is one on the offensive. And you're in, the local church is an outpost of the kingdom. An outpost is by nature temporary. And it's ready to pick up and move as the front advances always on the advance. That's the outpost. We often view it as a fortress where we're just huddled up, waiting, hiding. Jesus is on the move. Let's be an outpost and follow him. Amen? Jesus goes on. He says, like a city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Hide it under a bushel. Oh, that was weak. Come on, you did it better when you were three. Hide it under a bushel. Three of you got it. That was good. Right? But yeah, no! I'm going to let it shine. Do you know that song was based on this passage of Scripture? 
as, as a young child, you learned those things, but yet in our sin, we just kind of want to huddle up and we need to live that out again. I'm, I'm going to let it shine. You don't hide a light under a bushel basket. You put it on a stand. You don't, you don't flip the light switch on and then put a bag over top of your lamp. You, you let it shine. You have it up high. You don't, you don't put the lights. How many of you have the light in your bedroom under the bed? No. Why? What good would it be? You, you have it up on the ceiling where it lights the whole room. Lights the house. Where to shine is light. Now, sometimes, like the guy I referenced, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there's times to be uh, discerning and uh, to be careful about the way in which you shine, right? And uh, to be cautious. Jesus says to be uh, shrewd as snakes and peaceful as doves. I don't know if I got that quite right, but you know what I'm saying, right? You're, you're to be very wise and discerning and shrewd about how you live your life, but you are, the, you are light, so you are to shine. And you're of no use if you don't shine. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In a few weeks, Tiberius Ratz will be here preaching in November, and uh, he'll be preaching through Matthew 6, 1 through 18. And in that passage, Jesus talks about how uh, not to pray, how not to fast, how not to give. And one of the things he says is those is don't do it so that it would be seen by other people. Boy, Jesus is so full of contradictions, isn't he? Because look what he says here. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. But when he says that in a few weeks, when we see that, when we come to that passage, he's saying, don't let those things be seen. Why? If the reason you're letting them be seen is so that people see you. If the reason you're doing it is to make you look great, hide it under a bushel, okay? But if it's to make Jesus look great, let it shine. It's the motivation of your heart. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, the whole point, loved ones, of being salt and light, number four, we are sent to point others to Jesus. That's ultimately what you're sent to do, is to point other people to Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2, verse 14 through 15. He says, do all things. So if you're wondering, well, how do I point other people to Jesus? How do I do that? Well, here's a, here's a really easy one. Verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. Do all things. That would include how many things? All of them, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I failed that one already today. How about you? (laughs) Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Loved ones, if you're following Jesus Christ, You are not of the world, but you are sent into it. You are sent into it, right? And so what that means is that 
like salt. You have to come in contact with our community, with our culture, in order to influence people, with people you work with, with people you go to school with, with whatever that is. You have to come in contact with them and influence them. Jesus doesn't say go in with a, you are a hammer, you know, to beat people over the head. He says you're salt. You're just, you're going to season it. You're going to preserve it. And you're light. You're going to shine. You're going to take what's dark and make it visible. You're, you're going to help people so that they can see what's true and what's right. So let your light shine and point people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, in closing, I guess, you know, I said, send in the school. I don't know why. This is just kind of pricking me in the, the side right now. I just maybe I feel like I ought to say this. In our culture, some people, there's a whole debate, and I might open a whole can of worms here, and I don't intend to, but I'm trying to provide freedom. You know, do, do I send my kids to public school? Do I send them to home school? What do I do? What do I do? Well, if, I, if, if I'm going to be sold, i got to send them to public school. Maybe. If they're going to be salt and light, I need to keep them home so I can train them to be salt and light. Maybe. It could be either one. Where's your conscience on the issue, right? Don't feel beat down one way or the other on that issue. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm way off base, but sometimes I have that, you have that thing where the Holy Spirit prods you a little bit, and maybe somebody's thinking that. So if you are, that's not a condemnation one side or the other, okay? So there's freedom there. But the idea is... Where's your focus? Are we being sent as salt and as light into the world so that we would point people to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you. Uh, thank you that he speaks truth to us. Thank you that he lives truth for us, that he shows us what it means to live as his disciples sent into the world, that, that we're to be salt and preserve uh, goodness and, and care for other people in, in our community and in our culture. Father, I pray for, for myself, I pray for each one here who know you, that um, they might look, and even in their 110 group, they might look at places where, where they can serve and where they can, can love and care for people, Jesus, in your name. Um, and that, that they would bring flavor to the world around them, the aroma of Christ. That their light would shine into the darkness and that all of it, Jesus, would point people to you. Let us be a church known for that, uh, on mission, because you've sent us here. You've sent us to Milford. You've sent us to Syracuse. You've sent us to Webster, to Warsaw, to this whole area, to New Paris, to Goshen, Napanee, all around, leading there to, to, to be your people on mission, to build your kingdom here. Father, I pray for those this morning who hear my voice, or who will hear my voice and don't yet know you. I pray that they would repent of their sin. Uh, turn Jesus to you, that you would give them life and that you would in turn uh, make them not of this world, but send them back out into it to redeem it in your name. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him.